Hi, and welcome back to This Week in Voice, Season 6, Episode 2. We're back for another season. We're excited, as I explained last week uh, when talking to Sanjay Dewan of Serence. Um, we put the show on hiatus uh, to begin with, you know, during the pandemic because uh, the world put podcasts on hiatus. Uh, but now that uh, people are listening to them again and uh, some of those patterns are back up, uh, we're back up and running as well. And we're excited to have two fantastic guests here today doing a lot of different things within the world of voice AI. Ken, I'm going to start with you. Tell us who you are and, and tell us what you do. And you're on mute. Great. Thanks for thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Uh, so here at Yobi, uh, basically what we've done is taken in a unique approach to the uh, what we call the cocktail party problem. We use artificial intelligence to duplicate some of the features we have in a human auditory system as it relates specifically to voice. Uh, our underlying methodology is our ability to track unique voice biometrics and other metadata that's captured in a voice signal and extracted out of noisy signals. Uh, so the byproduct of that is the ability for your uh, voice-connected devices to work properly, if you would, uh, and more effectively with more metadata around who's talking to it, what the emotional state is, clarity of voice for things like ASR and other speech-to-text type apparatuses. Um, and we see this as an interesting front end, if you would, um, to a lot of the, the value of other voice technologies uh, in the uh, audio path. Uh, and we're using artificial intelligence to basically help um, uh, navigate through the complexity of the auditory scene in real time um, as, you know, uh, as a, a smart front end, if you want to call it that. Excellent. Yeah, Ken, you're doing some cool stuff with Yopi. We, we're uh, glad to <laughs> glad to have you here and uh, glad to see what you're doing. Thank you for being part of the show. Our other guest is Brandon Kaplan. Brandon, it's great to have you back on the show. Say hello and tell us what you do. Thanks, Riley. Appreciate you having me and uh, nice to be on with you, Ken. Um, so uh, CEO of Skilled Creative, we are a, a full service conversational AI agency based in New York City. Uh, we're a, a team of creatives, technologists, strategists, uh, working with Fortune 500 brands to help them figure out what is voice, what is conversational AI, how do I build a program around my business? How do I build a business out of this? How do I market? How do I do voice commerce? Uh, kind of guiding that whole uh, a journey for people. And, uh, you know, we, we get really excited about the technology, but we, we like to say that we're building the most creative, the most strategic experiences in the conversational AI market. And we get to work with really cool brands every day to, to build those things out and, uh, and love, love chatting about it. So excited to be here. Yeah, it's great to have both of you here. And and look, there's uh, no two sharper folks working in this, uh, what we call the voice AI universe um, than y'all. So we're grateful for you setting the time aside. We'll get right into it uh, with the first story of the week. And hey, Siri, what happened from The Verge? So um, Brandon, I'm going to start with you. And then Ken, I'll go to you and we'll alternate as we go through the stories. Um, you know, uh, Siri had uh, her get in trouble, I guess, <laughs> calling it her uh, her um, tenth birthday, and um, you know, as I wrote uh, earlier this week, it was uh, kind of bittersweet because um, while it indicates resilience, 
and perseverance, it indicate it also simultaneously indicates lost opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, my my question for you, and and it'll be the same for Ken too, is um, first of all, in your day to day, who cares? Do you care about Siri? Does it ever does it ever cross your path? And then did anything else stand out uh, in the article um, for you? Yeah, I mean, really interesting article. And um, if you would have asked me if Siri was older or younger than 10 years old, I would have probably said much older, right? It feels like that technology has been around for a lot longer. Um, but yeah, I mean, as, as much as Siri kind of drove uh, the beginning of some of this industry, it, it certainly slowed and, and, and lagged behind. I don't really use it on a day-to-day basis. You know, sometimes on my, my laptop, I'll, I'll hit that button just to play around, but my phone, it's disabled. It's mostly disabled on all my devices. And where it comes up most, frankly, is clients asking about it, right? We talk so much about other conversational AI platforms. And then they say, well, what about Apple? And our response is always, if you want some Siri shortcuts, let's throw them into your program. But outside of that, it's kind of a a blind spot for us. We don't really know what, there's some development tools coming out. There's some, you know, rumblings around the hardware that's coming out. But uh, but we don't we don't do a lot in that space. Although we wish we could. We wish there were developer tools like there are from Amazon and Google and Samsung and SoundHound and all these other players. And uh, you know it may be a missed opportunity, but it, it's also a reflection, I think, of these these massive technology organizations uh, are really strate- strategically focused. Amazon and Google and Apple and Samsung are really driving their vision. And if it's not a top priority for their organization, they're really, they're really putting it on, on a backseat. Um, so it's clear that Apple has other higher priorities that are generating more revenue and more momentum for them. And this is a nice to have, and I'm sure they're working on it. But what we've always told people is, you know, Amazon and Google, similar to Tesla, right? They had this idea and they built this technology with this new vision and Siri uh, was kind of a, a number of old technologies that were cobbled together. And then they've been trying to build on top of it for the last, you know, uh, decade. Whereas the other platforms raced ahead because they were, they were building to the kind of the newer vision of, of what it is. So, you know, it's a platform we wish there was more to do in. Uh, we're keeping a close eye on it. And, you know, the quote that I thought was really interesting from the article was just, it said, like a shepherd leading their herd off a cliff, redirecting back to their inferior apps. And I was like, what an interesting quote to pull out. And it just speaks to a little bit of that kind of like self-serving strategy that I talked about where these organizations are driving where they want to push their products. And, you know, they're, they're going to drive in the direction they want, regardless of if you or I or Ken or, or users want it. Um, so that, that's my, my kind of quick, quick comments on it, but interesting article. Yeah, no, that's great. And Ken, I'm going to ask you the same thing, you know, with what you do, uh, with Yobi, does Siri come up at all? Uh, what is that conversation? Uh, who cares, um, at this point, uh, maybe you do, maybe you don't. And did anything else stand out in the, in the piece to you? Yeah, and, and, and I think I'll piggyback a little off of what Brendan was saying. Uh, he's a lot closer to this from a technology than we are. Um, you know, we don't get a lot of quarries, and, and I'm being tongue-in-cheek with this. I don't think we've ever got any quarries. 
about you know how we work in front of of a Siri type of apparatus. It's just not something that comes up in in conversation. Um, and to Brandon's point, yeah, it'd be great to work with it. I mean, it's a big slice of the universe, right? Uh, and you know, we're very obviously familiar with the Android environment. We love it. We know it is accessible. Um, but there's also some development challenges on, on the OS platform, right? It's not straightforward for us to engage, uh, even if we had access to some of the things that we need access to. So uh, from that standpoint, you know, it, it's always been our opinion that it, maybe there's a sleeping giant there. Um, but something that jumped on the article that was really, uh, that really resonated with me was when you think about Google and Amazon, you know, Google developed the voice platform for their core competency for search, Right. Amazon developed their, you know, solution was really to help you purchase more things from Amazon Prime. You know, it wasn't to be this new ubiquitous voice product that you see in the sci-fi movie. They just really wanted you to buy more stuff, right? If if Apple had come out and say, okay, what's the core competency and let's build voice interface around that? Like you imagine voice interface for their OS? I mean, that's kind of like the holy grail of voice interfaces for an Apple OS. Um, but, you know, first out the gate, you know, you, you know, you, you take a lot of, you take a lot of, uh, a lot of arrows. And so, uh, but that's the, you know, the, the missed opportunity. I'm not going to, you know, try to stand behind that, but that's the missed opportunity. It, they could have been the first to really develop a seamless operating system with voice um, and being very specific around their core competency. And, and that's kind of the, the, the thing I got from the article myself. Yeah, that's great. Um you know, and, and there's been a lot of reflection, uh, you know, in parallel uh, with reflecting on Siri, reflecting on Steve Jobs passing and just sort of thinking about um, what could have been because Siri was his vision um, and his project. And, um, you know, and, and with him gone, uh, as as happens, you know, priorities shift. And so, you kind of left sitting there scratching your head thinking about, you know, what could have been as both of y'all sort of uh, discussed. Um, story number two from Ars Technica, Amazon gives Alexa some more patience. So this is, this is interesting. Um, and uh, Ken, I'm going to start with you on this and Brandon, I'll go to you. So this article talks about um, uh, how Amazon gives people longer time to respond uh, which has some accessibility uh, used to it. And then it talks also about typing. You, know, you can type uh, answers to it. Um, we've seen a lot from Amazon uh, in the last 30 days. They had a big event. They've been kind of kind of banging the drum. What do you take away from this article? And, and um, you know, where do you see the Alexa ecosystem right now? Yeah, so... so- you know, we, I have a number of the devices, um, as you would assume I have almost every platform out there. Um, and being the business we in, I think every one of us owns every platform that has a voice just so we know how they interface. Um, this update was noticeable, like very noticeable from the lag time it takes between the time I say the wake word and you get the command. Um, and so I'm, I'm just like, we all push out our first version of something and it, there's some you know, glitches to it or not glitches, but there's some user feedback that you need to have. And it was demonstratively noticeable for me just this morning. It was noticeable, the lag between the wake word and the command. And that's what I'm assuming they're giving that extra gate to get more snippets and push that back and then decide when you're not talking, 
but from a flow standpoint and you know I'm, I'm from new england we talk faster than most i like my response to be kind of quick this extra time didn't add stickiness to my experience uh at this point um and now they'll probably tweak and figure out you know what the sweet spot is but i i do see amazon putting a lot of effort right and in, in trying to make that interface a little bit more seamless for a wider range of demographics, right? That instead of just, okay, yes, we have the how many billion of users. Now let's go for some of those outliers and make the, the system a little bit more engaging for those individuals. Um, just for, for me, because, uh, you know, we're always chasing at Yobi. We're chasing that seamless interface. You know, one of the challenges that I think the whole voice industry has is that there is a standard for operating that no one's really talked about, which is what we call the human standard. We've been talking to people for millennia. We know how the interface is supposed to work. So after the novelty wears off, right? Now you're stuck with, I kind of want it to work the way I normally communicate using language. And I think that's what a lot of platforms are. We're chasing that symbiotic type of relationship between voice and I just, you know, the jury's out what happens after the next iteration of this. But right now, that seamless type of connectivity right now with my Amazon device just isn't there. It just took longer. It doesn't hear you with the music because now, of course, you got to change the modeling from the, uh, the, the noise cancellation standpoint. There's a lot of things that went into what I think it feels and how it feels a little bit less seamless. Um, but, you know, Amazon's chasing the, the same goal that I think we all are is how do we make these things more symbiotic with more people as we scale out to basically grow our base. So, yeah, that's interesting um, that, uh, that you sort of observed that in the wild and, and um, you know, it sort of um, struck you as maybe a transitional sort of thing. Um, Yeah. That's really interesting. Um, Brandon, same question for you. Um, You know, uh, your thoughts on, uh, Alexa continuing to make changes like this uh, to the ecosystem and then in combination with some of the other stuff they've done over the last 30 days, you're close to those folks. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you operate in that ecosystem quite a bit. Uh, your thoughts? Yeah, for, I think really Ken's kind of perspective is really interesting on like looking at the inverse of the 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 bugginess that a new push can create. So that's really fascinating. I haven't, I haven't noticed that, but I'll check it out today. And um you know, I think Amazon's really emerged in the last 12 to 18 months as the platform that is still really, really committed from a true like voice assistant perspective, which is just unleashing the candy shop at us of just like constantly putting out new products. And they've got dozens and dozens of small teams of people that are working on products that are known or unknown or in the works. And it's exciting to see them doing it. Um, talking about the latency, it's, it's interesting, you know, because there's there's points in conversational design where you need to think about where do I need to speed up and then where do I need to slow down? And I think it's interesting to think about, you know, we take a lot of time when we're producing experiences to make sure we're clipping audio perfectly so we don't create that awkward latency so that the human brain goes like, wait, what's going on? This doesn't feel right. We want it to feel good. But then there's also moments where we'll use SSML markup to slow things down. So that we give people pause and we give people time and we give them the ability to kind of process a menu or process something. Um, So I I think Amazon's intention on this listening for longer periods of time 
is phenomenal for disabled communities, for sure. I also think it's just good for everybody if they can get it right, because, um, you know, I've, I've got my laptop on a cooling pad. Uh, if I showed you the tabs that are open on my computer, you would judge me harshly um, uh, for the number of tabs I have open. And I think that like everybody right now has a lot of tabs open in our brain and you're just like working on five things and you're talking to Alexa and you just can't remember what you started the question about. And it takes our CPU a little bit longer to process. So if, if Alexa can listen for a little longer, I think it's a great thing. So that's like a fun widget. We'll see what happens. The thing that I think is a little more compelling is that they're adding text, which is something that Google has been doing for years. And it, it was very Google of Google to do that, but it, it's very different of Amazon to do that from where they've been pushing the platform. And, and I think it's an interesting indicator of potentially, you know, maybe some more enterprise application focus or maybe some more utility focus or hyper awareness of privacy concerns and people typing passwords versus saying pin codes. And so it's just an interesting evolution for the platform. And, and, uh, I'm uh, I'm excited. As as the kids say, I like that energy from from Amazon for uh, for put, putting out new features. You know, yeah, uh, yeah. And, and two interesting perspectives on that. It's just really great. You know, it, it uh, the one thing you can say about Amazon is they are unafraid to experiment. Yeah, and that's been consistent from the start of Alexa. In fact, it is Alexa. It, you know. <laughs> Uh, Alexa was an experiment to begin with, and all they've done is just continued to um, build and build and build and tinker. And I, th- I every time this comes up, I think about the Echo buttons. And it's like they knew when they released that, you know, a couple of years ago that that might have like a little bit of utility to somebody. But just the act of putting it out um, just signals all the right things. And there's been countless other examples, but that one sticks out. So. Yeah, no, great, great uh, summary and great uh, analysis there. Story number three from Yahoo Finance. Conversational AI market to reach $32.62 billion globally by 2030 from Allied Market Research. So here we are again with, with uh, one of these sort, sort of uh, reports, right? You know, we've seen a, we've seen a number of these sort of talk about the growth, um, we all sort of feel it intrinsically, you know, every day we're feeling the growth of what's going on, but uh, it's interesting to see, see it when it's put into words and, and see it when it's, it's written down and, and discussed. And Brandon, I'm going to start with you. Um, your, th- your thoughts on this, any surprise, you know, what does this mean to you? Uh, it means, uh, good. It means good, good things, right? I, our, our assessment is actually that the, the market is larger already. You know, we assess the market's closer to around 10 billion. When, when we start piecing together different elements of the industry and you look at uh, the consumer facing side, uh, the enterprise side, closer to, or, or just north of 10 billion. So, um, but, but I'm excited to see that there's this continued momentum and growth. And, you know, I mean, all, everyone in this call, everyone in this podcast has invested our lives, our businesses, our our teams into conversational AI. And I think for everyone, we're in that like innovation hype cycle. There was a lot of hype two years ago. We went into like the trough of disillusionment the last like 14 months during the pandemic. 
And now we're kind of back into that. I think it's like uh, productivity growth phase. So I love to see all the investment in the space. I love to see the forecasts continuing to grow. Um, there's there's a lot going on. But what I find really fascinating is that we're we're not just talking about Alexa anymore. We're talking about the size of the market. And as it relates to consumer-facing experiences, commerce, customer service, transcriptions, companies like, like Ken's, um, you see the, the market maturing and the folks that were very impatient have kind of like moved on and now they're doing NFTs or who knows what they're doing, right? And the people that truly believe in conversational AI are going, okay, like, let's go. Now the really cool stuff has emerged. It's maturing. Let's start building the really impactful stuff. So, you know, we're excited to see the growth. We're excited to see people um, reporting on the growth. I always tell our clients, you know, be skeptical of a Forrester report or of a, there's a lot of, a lot of good diligence that goes into that, but you know, any forward momentum is, is, uh, excites me. So I, I like it. Yeah. Uh, I like it too. And Ken, I want to ask you the same question. You know, here's another one of these stats, uh, eye popping numbers, you know, we've sort of gotten used to it, but it's interesting to see maybe not everybody has, what is your reaction to a report like this? What does it mean to you? Yeah, I'm I'm going to piggyback off of Brandon's thesis that I think it's larger than than was assessed, uh, and and that could be a little of you know we're drinking our own Kool Aid a little right, but um, at a high level, uh, you know it's I see a, 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 a interesting bottleneck right now around how the consumer engages with conversational AI, and once we take care of some of those barriers of entry, what's the real trajectory look like? You know, so for us. We've been focused a lot of our energy on making it so the acoustic environment for mobile devices is manageable for these type of solutions to work effectively. So what happens when you have the ability to use your cell phone in a conversational AI type of environment, right, where you're talking seamlessly to it? And what does that give brands the opportunity to do that might be sitting on that cell phone? And I don't think those numbers really calculate what happens when conversational AI can be distributed through these other devices that right now are barriers of entry because of certain you know, situations like, I don't know what the acoustic environment is like, so getting good ASR in that environment is difficult. It has been our thesis that as we add on to more data, get more metadata from the voice, how does that influence the stickiness of conversational AI, right? So Versus just getting a speech-to-text type of relationship, what happens when I know it's Bradley talking to me because you're using some kind of biometric filter to let them know who the user is? What happens when I have some high-level categorization of, of, of uh, Bradley's emotions? What happens when I know what environment you're in? Right? These, these are things that, from a human standpoint, back to, I guess, you know, our, our work here is making sure that we try to get as much metadata out of the voice as possible. When you add some of that context and some of that richness to the information you're giving conversational AI platforms, it's more engaging. It's stickier. You know, we're seeing this interesting, um, I guess, renaissance of conversations around advertising. What happens when you make advertising conversational? So it's suggestive. It's not a, a abrasive. And that's what voice allows you to do. It allows you to give me a suggestion about something in a very humanistic way. And instead of clicking through, I speak through, I was like, yeah, I want to know more about X, Y, Z. And there you go. You have 
conversation, some conversation AI platforms, the advertisers are happy, the brands are happy, and the user doesn't feel this arduousness of the way traditionally we've moved away from, you know, our, you know, the, the 1940s radio commercial, right? And we've moved to this more obtrusive visual type of interjection into my conversation. So I think the numbers are a little low. I, I think that, you know, there's a the little bit more upside here. Just, and that might be because because be because we're in the trenches and we see where the barriers are. But when you remove the barriers and you have more adoption, I think it becomes a, a slightly larger market than the number that was even projected, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I think that's really interesting that, that both of y'all immediately go to it's larger. Yeah, I mean, it probably is larger. I, I, I immediately suspect the, I mean, I, I guess it's my nature to suspect uh, the way that data like this is counted um to begin with and i just immediately assume stuff was left out um and in this situation uh yeah, it probably was <laughs> but uh you know it's still a good news story and um and so it's interesting to hear y'all talk about that and i appreciate that story number four and uh we're continuing our tradition here of um trying to end each show with something uh something a little bit different typically i look for something bizarre uh, but I couldn't find it this week. So I found I settled for something uplifting. Um, at least I think it's uplifting. AI is still awesome 20 years later from a website called Cult of Whatever. And so what this story does, it's a long piece, but basically it recounts a number of um, uh, takes, cinematic uh, Hollywood takes on AI and um, I'm interested to hear, and Ken, I'm going to start with you, and then and Brandon, I'll go to you. Um, I, I'm, I'm interested to hear um, how this story struck you. Um, you know, my, I'll just tell you that we're, we're, so, you know, I'm on social media more than probably anybody should be, which is how much people should be is probably zero. Um, but I'm on there quite a bit. And I see there's this, there, there's a, a lot of people talk about AI. There's 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 people working with it, and then there's uh, a different subset of academics that rail against it, and then you have just normal people that will mention it casually from time to time. And my question for you is: one, what stood out, if anything in particular, from this kind of fun uh, recap type of piece? And two, how would you characterize um, the evolution and how we view AI now that it's starting to become a little bit more real? Yeah. And, and so I'll start with, you know, I think to a certain degree, uh, a lot of us are, are sci-fi junkies, right? And so when I'm thinking about the voice user interface, I can go back, I might be dating myself, but I can go back to watching reruns of the original Star Trek. And, and it always amazed me how did the enterprise know that was Captain Kirk giving the struck sequence? It could have been anybody saying it, right? Um, like the first instance of biometrics and voice identification, um, auto-destruct sequence, right? And so um, I love to see, like, you know, we talk about different movies, the, of course, you know, um, the, you know, we can go back to 2000, you know, 2001 and all these other movies around artificial intelligence. It, it does help me basically frame the conversation that we have here internally, which is, there's been a, a, a division of machine learning based artificial intelligence and the inferencing intelligent artificial intelligence we've come to think of when we think of Skynet, right? And they're not the same, right? And so 
I think that the machine learning data-driven pattern recognition way of thinking about AI is now dominant. And I, we, we know this because that's kind of what the, the train is on right now. And that real, you know, inferencing, decision-making, um, kind of amb- ambiguous AI ha- is not getting the same line share of, of research attention as what the machine learning has. And I think some of the criticisms that you mentioned, Bradley, are coming from, well, how is the data used to create some of the models that now influence a lot of our lives? You know, if if you watch any of the Facebook conversation, you know, that's kind of how it kind of mushrooms out to the public face, right? And so it's getting a lot of of attention and it gets some pushback um, because of the core modeling part of it, the data part, what do you put in that takes what you get out. And so, you know, it's, it's what I got from the article is, you know, we would love to see a little more, you know, line share of, of, of the, the focus going back to that inferencing, no data computational ex- discovery type of way of looking at artificial intelligence, the true nugget of artificial intelligence. Uh, because I think that there's some art there that's, that's, been been passed over going towards the big data and and for us we don't do any data all of our stuff is you know inferencing ai on the edge and we see the benefits there going into more computationally light environments because we don't need neural nets to do a lot of our thinking for us we're doing it on the edge so you know i I, first thing i got was this bifurcation of data-driven ai and then what we call more the inferencing intelligence ai yeah, that's a fascinating point point of view on that. Um, yeah, that, I appreciate you sharing that, Brandon. Uh, I'm going to give you the last word here. Your thoughts on on the piece, and do we still romanticize AI? Has our view changed on it? Give, give me your thoughts. You know, I thought it was I thought it was a cool piece. I liked it. I think you know, thinking about you know this piece where it was talking about the movie and and all the different movies, right, that, that have been out there around AI, and and I was reflecting how ultimately in in every movie that I can, you've got like Ex Machina, you have AI, you have all these other movies, the AI always comes for us, right? Like at the end of the day, the AI always comes for society because it sees some flaw in us and it, and it wants to eliminate that flaw and it, and it comes for us. And for me, there's like this interesting, deep rooted, I don't know, there's like this weird subconscious fear that people have of things they think can replace them. You see that in, in all different you know parts of life and and I've always been really positive about emerging technology and AI. And when, when our company was, was focused on broader technologies, we used to be focused on all emerging tech. I would, I would do talks about how we've always had people afraid of emerging tech. You know, the, 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 the word Luddite is a very, very old word. It's not, didn't get a, come around because of AI. It came around because of like looms and printing presses. And people thought that the printing press was going to destroy society. But my viewpoint is, and this is shared from like just reading about this for you know a long time, is we as humans end up offloading our consciousness to our tools, right? So when you get your pencil, you're offloading speaking words to writing words. When you get your computer, you're offloading, pulling a book out to typing in a URL. When you get your Alexa device, you're offloading, going to your computer and thinking about things to just coming back to saying it, which brings us back full circle. And 
there's this there's this narrative it's an anecdote about this is years old but it was they had an ai looking at um images looking for cancer cells and i think that the ai was something like you know 92% accurate in in isolating cancer cells and then they had a, a doctor doing the same thing and that doctor was like 95% accurate so like good news ai can't replace us yet the doctor was better than the ai but when they combined the ai with the doctor it was like 99% accurate right so instead of thinking about ai replacing us if we can think about ai as a teammate of ours then how much faster can we move and how much better can we be and sure there's these like unknown concerns about how how smart does it get and what does it do but you know there's probably a far greater amount of good that will happen in the short and midterm than some like matrixy world in the future so so i got excited kind of like looking at all these different films and reflecting on how there's always this like negative lens and you look at something like gpt3 and like think about that as a tool kickstarter for us jumping ahead and getting code bases or answers and uh I was excited. I was excited kind of thinking about it. And I, I also was reflecting on the fact, I didn't realize this, but it was a, it was a Stanley Kubrick film originally before it got handed over to Steven Spielberg. And then we're thinking about the Steve Jobs with Siri. And it's like that film and that reflection on AI would have been very different if Kubrick had brought it to life. Similar to how Siri might be very different if Steve Jobs had brought it all the way through. Um, so my gut reaction is let's not fear it. Let's be aware of it. Let's keep eye on it. Let's design it in a strategic way, but there's so much good that we can get out of this technology and it's being shown every day. Um, so again, all, all good stuff. No, that's great. That's great. So yeah, a great analysis all the way around and, and look, appreciate both of y'all setting the time aside. Ken Sutton of Yobi, Brandon Kaplan, the skilled creative. Thanks both of y'all for being part of this week in voice with us. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Thanks, Bradley. Thank you. You got it. So for This Week in Voice, Season 6, Episode 2, thank you for watching. If you're on YouTube, thank you for listening. If you're on your podcast provider of choice, until next time.